2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, the way I'd like to begin this message this morning is to ask you a simple question. Have you ever seen anything so glorious that you can't forget it? Maybe it's, it's, for me, a lot of times when I think of something that's glorious, something that's like God-sized that I've taken in, usually it's like something in nature, a, a, a mountain range covered in snow or some beautiful location. Uh, you might be on a hike through some forest that's just glorious. Uh, this summer, my family and I were in Hawaii and there's this this one little bay that you have to hike through this jungle to get to in, in, in Maui. And it's this incredible, beautiful uh, spot. And you're walking through and you're just like, oh my goodness, this is like God's garden. You know, and it's just this glorious, this glorious place. And, and is it something that you can still even picture in your mind when you think back to it? Something that's impacted you, something that's pointed you to God. Well, it's not even, uh, it's not only, I should say, not only things in nature that we can experience, we can also have uh, different moments. Maybe it's just with people that we love. Maybe you think back to like a holiday or, or, or some event that took place that you're like, that was such a glorious time. That was just a beautiful time. And, and the, the sights and the sounds and the scents all come back to you. I mean, for me as a little kid, going to grandma's house around Christmas time and you'd walk in the front door and you'd smell apple pie in the oven. You know, that still comes back to me. Those kinds of things. Uh, we, we have those, those moments, those experiences that really impact us. These, these glorious things. And, and those experiences, they mark us. They shape us. They're, they're imprinted upon us. And if you follow those glorious things to their source, obviously if they truly have glory, it's a gift from God. There's, there's God in these things. And it can cause worship to spring out of our, our souls. Peter, as we're going to talk about here today, was an eyewitness to glory. As we've gone through these two letters that Peter wrote, one of the things that we've done is we've talked about the life experiences that Peter had with Jesus. Peter, one of those apostles that lived for three years daily walking in the flesh side by side with Jesus himself. I mean, can you imagine the different things that Peter must have experienced? And we have a lot of those glorious experiences in scripture that we get to study and look at. And you realize there had to be all kinds of things now as we approach the end of his life, probably 35 or so years after Jesus had already died and resurrected, that Peter is thinking back to some of those experiences, some of those glorious events that marked him. And he's thinking back to all those things that Jesus said and Jesus did and that he got to experience. And those are the things that, that he want, wanted to pass on to the following generations that, that through his experience, we might be shaped in our understanding of God. And that, as we've seen, is one of the, what he was selecting as he was thinking about what are the words that I want to leave behind. As we're going to see here in the passage today, we realize that Peter knew life is almost over for me. So I need to make sure that I can leave some good things for the other people. What is it that I need to tell them about? What is it that I need to remind them of? 
And that's where we find ourselves here in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. Let's start reading there today. Here's what it says. It's Peter speaking and he says, I think it's right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder. Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, I'm gonna die soon. As our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Now, the heart that we see out of Peter right here is a heart that comes from walking with the Lord. I mean, Peter is at the spot right now where we don't know if it was like supernatural. Did he have some vision from Jesus who appeared to him and said, Peter, your time's up. We don't know if if this is a reference back to uh, way back in the end of the gospel of John when, when Jesus was about to ascend into heaven. He told Peter specifically, he said, hey, when you're an old man, people are gonna take you where you don't wanna go, referencing the sort of death that Peter was gonna die. So he knew from way back then that his life was gonna end pretty brutally the same way that Jesus's ended. But either way, he was at a spot where he knew, okay, it's almost, it's almost here, time's almost up. But instead of Peter being worried about himself and all the things that were going on in his life, we see a whole different heart here. For Peter, he's like, okay, I'm almost dead. Hmm, what do I need to do for these people? How can I serve them? How can I love them? What can I leave behind for them? Why? Because he knew I'm gonna be with Jesus soon. It's good for me. I'm not freaked out about what's to come. I know what's to come and it's gonna be glorious. But what about for all of the rest of these people that are still gonna be here in the struggle and pain and difficulty of life? What do you guys need to hear? What, what can I offer you? What can I bring to you? And that's what we find in ourselves. As we come into a relationship with God and God starts changing us, guess what happens? One of the primary things that happens is that instead of us being so self-centered on what about me, what about me, what about me? There's still little of that, but it's what about me and what about some other people? (laughs) Because God loves me and I love the things that God loves and therefore I love other people because God loves other people and therefore it's not just what about me, what about me, what about me? It's about what about me and some of those other people? And as you continue to grow, it becomes more and more the way it is. Hopefully someday we'll be like, what about them? What about them? Oh yeah, and what about me? Right? It's because we start to have this heart being cultivated for other people. The care and concern for other people. We want to serve other people. We want to love other people. We want to be compassionate and giving and caring. And we begin to actually pour out in the same way that Jesus did. Right? That's the natural way that we grow as believers. And that's what we see here. Peter is at the spot where he's like, look, I know I'm about to die, but what can I stir you up with? What are the things that I need to remind you of before I go so that after I leave, after my departure, it's gonna be fresh in your minds that you'll be able to come back to this and remember these things. And that's where Peter's focus was. He wanted to stir us up by reminding us of who Jesus is. If you're following along and filling in the little notes thing that you can get on Church Center, um, that's your first fill in the blank. He wanted to stir us up by reminding us of who Jesus is. And here's the thing. 
We need this in our lives. We need to be stirred up in our lives because it's very easy for us to lose sight of the big picture, isn't it? Happens to us all the time. As soon as something goes a little bit sideways in one part of our life, it's very easy for us to think about only ourselves and how we can fix it. We can get so focused on our own worries, our own concerns, that it's hard to think about the Lord. It's hard to think about other people. It's like, I've got problems right here. I don't have time to go read my devotions. God obviously isn't hearing me because the world's falling apart, right? It's very easy for us to go to that spot. And so it's helpful sometimes for somebody to come alongside of us and to stir us up. It's part of why it's so important that we have a community of believers that we're with. Because sometimes our own minds take us down these paths that get dark and get dangerous and aren't at all related to truth. And we need somebody to come alongside of us and say, no, actually, don't forget, there is a God and he is watching over you and there are good things that are coming in your future. We need this. And that's what he's doing and that's what he did. Peter, as stirring us up and and finding ways to, to let us recall these things, he wrote down some of his own experiences. That is what we have. The reason that we know the history of Jesus's ministry is because of people like Peter who wrote them down. Those writings became our Bible. That's what we have here. And as we see here, as Peter goes on, he's gonna start off with one of these things that he experienced. Something glorious that he could never forget. All right? Something glorious. And that's what we read in verses 16 to 18. And this is where we're gonna spend most of our time here today. Here's what he says. He says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But listen to this. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. Now, Peter's life, I don't think anybody would argue this point, Peter's life was an extraordinary life. Peter experienced things that very few other humans ever experienced in the history of the world. But he would have never expected that growing up as a poor fisherman in a little village by the Sea of Galilee. Because that's how Peter was raised. That's how he was, that's what he was born into. He would have grown up in that same little village, learned the family business, probably from the time he was a little kid. And I know that, you know, in this day and age, some of you guys are fishermen and it's technical and there's a lot to know. But in those days, there wasn't a whole lot to know. There weren't the bass masters contests and the boats and the sonar and all the crazy fishing lures and all the things that are there. It wasn't that. It was a rowboat and a net. Okay, that was how most of their fishing was. 
But that's what he would have grown up around as a little kid. And when he became an adult, he would have stepped right into the family business, the same family business that his other ancestors and relatives probably had. A typical morning for Peter would probably have begun while it was still very dark. They'd get up in the middle of the night, push their boat off into the the lake, cast these nets, try to catch the fish while they were still in shallow waters before they went down deep for the day. They'd do that through the early hours of the morning. When the sun started coming up, they'd row to shore, take whatever fish they caught, walk it into the village, sell it to one of the people in the market that would be selling the fish to the rest of the villagers, head back over to their boat, make sure their nets were in good shape, fix them if they needed to, patch up the little spots on the boat that were letting in a little too much water last night, go back into your little hut, take a nap, spend some time with the family in the afternoon, do it all over again the next day for your whole life. The only thing that really would have broken that was Saturday, you'd go to synagogue. It was a Jewish village. Everybody there was Jewish. Everybody went to synagogue. You'd have a few little, you know, seasonal festivals and and different celebrations as a village. But that's it. And by the time you were 17, 18, 19 years old, you'd understand this is what I'm going to do for my whole life. This is the way it's going to be. Now that very ordinary, simple life would go that way until Jesus arrived on the scene and befriended Peter and his brother Andrew. And at that point, that life that he thought he was going to have took an incredible turn. And like I said, for the next three years, Peter would live and travel with Jesus, experiencing things that he would have never imagined. And here, he's looking back, he's recalling one of those incredible experiences. Now, if you're not real familiar with the rest of the gospel story, when you read what we read in in 2 Peter here, you might be like, what is he talking about? A voice from, born from the majestic glory? What is that all about? And being on a mountain? Well, you're gonna find out, okay? In the Gospel of Matthew, and these verses will be on the screen, we have this event that we refer to as the transfiguration. That's what Peter is referring back to, okay? And in Matthew 17, starting in verse 1, here's the story. It says, And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured. That's where we get the name, the transfiguration. That means he, something changed in his appearance. He was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun. And his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
And when the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the son of man is raised from the dead. Listen, this was one of the most amazing events in the history of the world. I'm not sure if you understood all that took place right there. But Jesus, with just three men, Peter, James, and John, standing on a mountain, and all of a sudden, something incredibly supernatural takes place. Jesus' entire body is transfigured. His face lights up. His clothes are glowing white. And if that's not enough to already shock them, here comes two of the most important people in Jewish history. Moses, the one who led the people of Israel out of the exile into the promised land. Moses, the one who brought, got the Ten Commandments. Moses, the one who set up the whole sacrificial system. Their entire Jewish history is all sitting right there with Moses. And Elijah, one of the greatest prophets that they ever had. The foundations of the Jewish faith, the law and the prophets are right here and they're talking to Jesus. Okay, this was a big deal. And these men were eyewitnesses of Jesus's majesty. That's what's happening. What was happening was the veil of heaven was being opened just a little peak. And when that happened, Jesus just lit up and these men got to actually see, whoa, we already know Jesus is amazing. We now know he's glorious. And if that wasn't enough, God himself comes shadow, overshadowing them in this cloud. They don't see him. They just see this bright cloud and then they hear the voice of Almighty speaking and verifying who Jesus is. And what he speaks out of that cloud is, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. I mean, this was an amazing thing, an amazing thing. Now, many people were able to interact with Jesus while he was on earth. They got to walk alongside of him. They got to hear his messages. Some of them knew him as a kid growing up. They knew his family members. They even got to see some of his miracles in some places. They had conversations with him. But very few got to actually glimpse his glory. And Peter was one of these. Now, here's the thing. Peter doesn't bring this up to brag. He's not saying, hey, before I leave, don't forget who I was. I was Peter. I was the one who was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. I got to see the real glorious Jesus. That's not what Peter was saying. That's not why he brings this up. The reason he points back to this is he says, I want you to know what the source was of the knowledge that I had about Jesus. This gospel that I brought to you and I preached to you and I taught you about, this wasn't some myth. This wasn't some fairy tale, some fable that I heard from some smart guy in Greece. No, I was on the mountain. I actually was with Jesus face to face. I heard the voice of God speaking this into the world. I was there. 
In fact, that, that story, when Peter would tell it, I think he probably told the whole story. I think he said, yeah, and you would think that in this glorious moment, I would know what to do and how to do it. But instead, I started talking too much and said, I'll build you guys a tent because <laughs> I thought that was a good idea. <laughs> and, and so as I start talking, it's almost like I don't even know what else to do. So I'm going to keep talking because I'm, I'm a little uncomfortable here. And so I'm just going to talk a little more because that's what Peter did. So much that God the Father had to come along and almost rebuke him and say, just listen. <laughs> Enough where it terrifies these guys and they end up falling in the, their faces in the dirt. Okay, Peter wasn't saying, yeah, I was, there with, I was there with Jesus. He was like, actually, I was laying on the dirt because I was making a fool of myself in front of God himself, <laughs> right? But he brings that up to, to point back to the fact that Jesus was the glorious God and that he experienced it with his own eyes. And I'm sure that Peter told this story every chance he got. That's why he can just refer back to it now in this letter. Now, what do, we, what do we think about that, okay? Peter was an eyewitness to glory, an eyewitness of the glory of God. And here's the thing. There's a credibility that comes when someone sees something for themselves, all right? That's what an eyewitness is. They saw it with their own eyes. There's a credibility that, that comes along with that. People are prone to exaggerate or misinterpret things when they're telling a story, when they're telling somebody else's story, right? That's the way people are, and, and pastors are that way too. They might exaggerate a little bit here and there. But if they were actually there and they saw it, there's, they, they usually, when they've lived it, they're usually the best source of information. That's why in the court of law, eyewitnesses matter so much. If you get two parties that come together and say, this is what happened, and the other person is suing that person saying, no, that's not what happened, this is what happened. What does the judge wanna call in? Oh, we've got some eyewitnesses. We got some other people there that saw, the, saw what happened. So which was it? Was it this or was it this? And if you've got a couple eyewitnesses that are third parties that come up and say, oh, it was clearly this. I saw it with my own eyes, this happened, that happened, this happened. Guess what? Most of the time, the verdict goes with the person that had the eyewitnesses. They're, they're a good source of information. And Peter doesn't ground his authority on his intelligence. He doesn't say, hey, listen to what I have to say about Jesus because I'm really smart. He doesn't say, hey, listen to what I have to say about Jesus because I come from a long line of holy Jews and my great-great-grandfather was the leader of the synagogue. I have this pedigree that you should respect. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even say, hey, listen to me and what I have to say about Jesus because I have a good reputation. No, none of those things. What he says is, I saw this with my own eyes and I'm gonna tell you what I saw. And that is why I, I, can, I can speak with authority because I saw it. It's irrefutable evidence. It really took place. And all of the apostles were very clear to point out the fact that they had received the gospel. Not that they, they, they didn't say we created it. Because here's the thing, the people in our Bible, they weren't this collective of authors who just got together and they had this big summit somewhere and they sat down and said, let's craft an incredible story. 
It'll be this incredible thing and we've got the best authors from all the world together and we're gonna make this perfect bulletproof explanation of God and his son and we're gonna include all these really cool supernatural events that have taken place and we're gonna cram it all together and we're gonna make this story that's gonna last for the centuries. That's, That's not what happened. And none of them say that that's what happened or that that's what they were doing. It wasn't some myth that was refined and revised until it became a classic. They were given the gospel from Jesus himself. And it even had God's own verbal stamp of approval. That was the gospel. The gospel was received from them. Paul writes about it in Galatians 1, 11 to 12. It'll be on the screen here. It says, Here's what he says about it. He says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. When Peter says, hey, everybody, take a minute. Listen to what I'm gonna tell you because I'm about to be dead and I need you to know this. What he says is, I want you to know The gospel that we got came from this glorious God. I was there, I saw it, trust me. That's what he wants us to know. The gospel we preach isn't a human creation. It's not a grand philosophy of some grand civilization. God broke into history. That's where the gospel came from. He hand-delivered the message of salvation in the flesh through Jesus, and Jesus is God. So when we receive the gospel, we're not receiving some elaborate fairy tale to hope in. We are receiving the gospel from God. Now, our reception isn't as maybe incredible or dramatic as the way Peter got to experience it. I haven't had one of those moments on a mountain where I see the glory of God. Maybe you have, but I haven't. But still, it's the glorious God speaking the gospel to us through somebody else. And Peter is confirming the source. He's saying, if you see that glorious thing and you follow it all the way up to its source, it's God. That's where he's going with this. Peter was an eyewitness of glory, the majesty of heaven being revealed in Jesus. And that is what he wanted us to be reminded of. Peter doesn't say, hey, Jesus was a really, you know, good teacher. Or Jesus was a really smart person. Or Jesus was a kind healer. Or Jesus was a spiritual man. Or even Jesus was a prophet. He doesn't say any of that. He says, I want you to know Jesus was the glorious God. And the message that we are speaking is the message that came from the glorious God. And the other authors of the Bible agree. Listen to what John said another one of those three that was on that mountain. Listen to what he says in John 1.14. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John says the same thing. When we saw what we saw, we knew it was God. We knew it was glorious. In Hebrews, it says it this way. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Long ago, At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, 
whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Listen, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And do you see how that recognition changes things? We see Jesus differently than other people see Jesus. Lots of people that are non-believers have heard about Jesus. They've heard all sorts of different things about Jesus. They might know a lot about what the Jesus is in the Bible. They might have heard some other things that really aren't Jesus, but people attribute to him. They might view Jesus as, okay, yeah, you know, he was this, he was probably a historical figure that was a really nice guy and people liked him. And as time went on, the mythology around him expanded and pretty soon they said he was, you know, divine. And, but they don't really know this, this glorious Jesus. They haven't seen it that way. But if we recognize that Jesus is God, there's no room to just shrink him down into like this good teacher of lofty ideas. We can't minimize how important he is. So as you think about this, as you think about Peter coming to you and saying, this is important, know that Jesus is God. My question to you is, is that how you see Jesus? When you think about Jesus, when you think about who this man was, do you think about him as God? And is this who you worship when you come into a church service? That's what we do when we gather together here. All right, there's there's different aspects to our worship. Right now we're learning, we're studying the word. We're ingesting that, we're pondering God, we're thinking high thoughts about God, we're trying to understand what he's revealed to us in his word. Before that, we were here, we were singing praises. Is it just because music is nice and we like it and it makes us feel good? Well, no, that's part of it. But what we're using it for is a way of worshiping, a way where we come in and we begin to express ourselves to God. We're putting our hearts and minds on this glorious being and saying, we want to worship you. We want to proclaim your praise. We want to proclaim your glory and your honor. We're doing that inside of a gymnasium. I mean, it's one thing if you, you know, we're in some cathedral somewhere and it's like, oh, it's a lot easier. You walk in and it's like, oh, glorious, right? But but no, why? Because we know that God's even above the, the roof of this gym. We know he's out there. We know that he's truly glorious. And when we come to worship, that's what we're doing. We're thinking about his glory, that he's not just some person, but that he is God. And we also recognize the fact that it's easy for us to distance ourselves from that Jesus that Peter knew. That's why he wants to remind us. He wants to say, don't forget this. I know you weren't there on the mountain with me, but I was. And I can tell you this took place. Don't forget that. Don't think, you know, 2,000 years later, oh yeah, well, that was some guy 2,000 years ago. And yeah, but his glory has not changed. Jesus has not diminished in any way. And our eyes have to be open to see him as he is. And we have to ask God to open our eyes. So if I say to you, hey, do you see Jesus as the glorious God? And you're like, no, not really. I mean, He's, he's probably nice and stuff, but no, I don't see him as God, like worth worshiping. 
Well, that's a different vision, isn't it? That's a different way of seeing Jesus. Moses, who was on that mountain that I already told you was the Moses who led the Israelites out of captivity in Egypt into the promised land, or at least up to the promised land. Moses is the one that the Bible says that he got to speak to God in a way that really nobody else before that time had. I mean, it it says specifically that he spoke to him as like one person speaks to another person. Moses heard the voice of God. And it wasn't just like, oh, I, I think I hear God somewhere. No, it's like God would tell him very specific things very clearly. All right, Moses, in the Old Testament, there's a, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 33. And Moses is, is about to lead the Israelites. And what he recognizes when he's preparing for this thing is because at this point, the Israelites are a large group of people, like probably a million people. Can you imagine being one person that has to lead a million people? I, I, yeah, crazy. <laughs> All right. But what Moses realizes is he says to God in one of their conversations, he's like, God, you have to go with me on this. I mean, I'm glad that you've equipped me and all and, and all that. And that's a pretty overwhelming opportunity that I have to lead all these people. But you have to be with me because I'm just a human being and I'm gonna try to lead a million people through the wilderness Where are we going to get food? Where are we going to get water? Where are we going to hide from the sun? All those kinds of things. You have to go. This has got to be a, this is a God-sized mission. And if God doesn't come with us, we're in trouble. And so he specifically has this conversation with God because originally God had said, yeah, Moses, lead him out there. I'll send an angel with you. It'll all be good. And Moses is like, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. Like, I know those angels are pretty impressive and stuff, but this is, I need you. Not an angel. I need you. I need your presence. And so as we're going to see here, I'm going to read you this little passage. God's going to say, all right, I'm going to go with you. But look what else happens, okay? Here it is in Exodus 33, verses 17 to 20. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, asking for me to go with you with my presence, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. But look what Moses does now. He's like, all right. I just asked God this question. He says yes. He says, I found favor in his sight and that, I, that he knows my name. I'm going for it all. I'm gonna ask something even a step further. And here's what he says. He said, verse 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. Now realize this is Moses who has conversations daily with God talking to him back and forth, back and forth. But even then, Moses realized, I only get a small fraction of who you are. I want to see the big picture. I want to see the glory of God. And so he says, hey, God, can I see your glory? Now, I don't know how much time is elapsed between verse 18 and 19. Okay, in the Bible, it's just boom, boom, boom. And God being God, omniscient and all, he probably knew that Moses was going to ask this question. So maybe he answered very quickly. But in my kind of imagination, I picture there being like a moment of radio silence. Okay, Moses says, oh, and by the way, can I see your glory? And God's like, Moses, do you realize what you're asking here? (laughs) But after whatever length of time that was, here's what we see in verse 19. And he, God, said, 
I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. What he says is, Moses, you're my buddy. I like you. I like you a lot. But if I peek out of this cloud, you're a dead man. So you don't really know what you're asking. But I will give you a little more. I'll show you some of my goodness. In fact, I'll even let you hear my name in all of its glory. And that enough is going to flatten you. (laughs) But you can't see my glory because no man can see my glory and live. God's glory remained veiled to humanity until Jesus arrived. And Jesus has revealed the Father to us through his life. Listen to what it's described in John chapter one, a little farther from where we had looked earlier. Here's what John writes. He says, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But the only God, which is referring to Jesus here, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. You see, we can't see yet the glory of God in all of his splendor because we are flawed human beings. We're sinful human beings. Even though we've been given the righteousness of Jesus, even though we're being transformed and sanctified and renewed, we still aren't there where we're so glorious and pure and perfect that we could handle the radiance of God's glory. But what we do see is we see more of his glory through Jesus. Because what Jesus said is, hey, if you've seen me, if you've known me, you've known the Father. Yeah, there's still a little bit of a separation here. One day you're gonna see him in all his glory. At the the end of the Bible in Revelation, it tells us the glory of God is so bright and powerful, there's no need for a sun anymore because he just glows and he will light up all of the new heaven and the new earth with his glory. And we're gonna be able to have bodies that can experience it at that point, but, but not quite yet. Now, I know that we might never have a, a Mount of Transfiguration moment like Peter did. And, and, and he has testified that Jesus is everything that he said he was and the almighty God had verified that fact. But through the spirit of Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, we can catch glimpses of God's glory. And I think a lot of times we settle for too little when it comes for, for us experiencing God in this way. We like to just leave Jesus trapped in our Bibles. It's like, yeah, I'll come to him when I need and I'll open up, oh, there you are, Jesus. Okay, cool. Close it back. We don't, we don't ask to see the glory of God in our lives. We don't ask that he would reveal, we don't have the boldness that Moses had. We don't ask, God, let me see your hand at work in this world around me. Let me know your presence. Let me experience you. And a lot of times we sell ourselves short 
Because God does want to reveal himself to us, to express to us who he is. That's why we even have a Bible. He wants us to understand what Jesus has done for us in coming in the flesh. He wants us to experience abundant life. Jesus says it in John 10, I came that you'd have abundant life. Not just kind of get by until you die and go to heaven. He wants us to see his glory. He wants us to become these eyewitnesses of glory. And what the Bible also tells us, Jesus himself told us, when we set our hearts and minds to seek him, we will find him. We, we won't see him face to face until this life is over, but we can see his grace and his goodness and his love in this life. So as we finish here today, have you been eyewitnesses of God's glory? Have you seen God work in your life? Do you know Jesus this way? Do you have this vision of him? My prayer is that we would all become those people, that we would all experience that and watch that transform us. And here's the thing, many of us have seen God work in our lives. It may have been a long time ago, might have been yesterday, but we've seen those things. And you know, one of the ways that we catch little glimpses of God's glory is actually through each other. That's how you came to even hear the gospel message. That's how I heard the gospel. It's from someone else sharing with me what they've experienced about God, which then made me curious to say, whoa, God will connect with human beings? And then began a pursuit of seeing this until I experienced God on my own. That's what we're called to do. Not only are we called to be eyewitnesses of the glory, then we're to take that glory and do what Peter's doing here. We are to begin to testify and share with other people the goodness of God. Guess what? Did you know this? You're not responsible for saving anyone. You're Christians. You're not responsible for saving anyone. Only God saves people. Salvation is in him. All we're called to do is to share the good stuff that God has done in our lives. He's the one that does the saving. So sometimes we feel a big pressure on our, our shoulders of, oh my gosh, how am I gonna share the faith? I've gotta get out there and evangelize. The Great Commission. Jesus said, go into all the world and evangelize. Oh, no, you're just supposed to get out there and share what God has done in your life. He does all the heavy lifting of that. So share those truths and may God reveal his glory to us. Amen? Well, let's worship this glorious God.